Welcome back to Gohooligans, where we talk about owl things and Catherine Lasky's 2000s era children's books. I'm PB. I'm CJ. And yeah, we're going to start off cracking in with our Miles Minute as usual, checking in with our show's producer, Miles Rib, currently happily chewing away on a chewy, except wait, what's this? Oh, I have breaking news. There is a breaking scandal in the Hooligans podcast. You put your finger to your ear as though you had a Bluetooth headpiece, and you do not. All right, so this is just in. Um, Twitter user at Asteroid Era has informed us that we have been getting something horribly wrong on the show. Twilight is not a great horned owl. We, I did my whole Owl Fact Corner last time about Twilight <laughs> as a great horned owl. No, he's a great gray. So, CJ. You never corrected me once on this. Defend wait, 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 yourself. wait, wait. You're going to pass the buck for you saying the wrong word onto me for not fixing it for you. This I is like weaponized incompetence. There is some shared responsibility here, I feel like. I have read the words Great Grey many a time now re-going through these books. Yes, uh, and it's You're the Lore Master. You're the one reading the books. When did I get the title Lore Master? You're... Hang on, I demand a crown. Yeah, sure, you can have a crown. Where's my crown? I will take responsibility for this fiasco when I am provided with a crown made of feathers. Okay, uh, I will get on that. <laughs> uh, but yes, deep apologies Teddy fans of the books who now understand that yes, I am a fake fan. Um, I guess... All the responsibility goes on CJ's shoulders, but only once I make her a crown, so for now, you can blame me. You know, we really should have figured it out, because they kind of do their best not to have two of the same kind of owl Uh huh. most of the time. Wait, who is the Great Horn? Uh, I, it might be Ezzy. It might be Ezzelrib. Yeah? I'll have to double check, actually, now that I'm in here. I thought he was... But look at that haggard, craggled old man. And I thought he was horse. like a screech owl. Oh, you're right. He's a whiskered screech. That's correct. Hang on. I will go to the character glossary in the back of the book. We have an elf owl, a great gray owl, a burrowing owl, two snowy owls, a spotted owl, a whiskered screech, a boreal owl, another snowy owl. That one's rare. Blind nest snake, a burrowing owl. So we do have two burrowings and three snowies. Oh, there's our great horned. Yeah, who is it? It's Boobo. Oh, okay. It's our blacksmith. Okay. It's our blacksmith. Boobo is our great horn. But I think we claimed was a snowy owl. So look, I'm in charge no, of the no, owl no. facts, that and was... I got them wrong. No, no, no. the The snowy owl was the rogue smith of Silvervale from last episode. Oh yeah, who was who... Madame Plonk's sister? Sis. Yeah, and Madame Plonk is a snowy owl, but the blacksmith didn't look like a snowy owl because she was so covered in blacksmith soot. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, we also have. Spotted Owls, Pygmy Owls, Northern Saw Wet Owls, 
short-eared owls, lesser sooty owls, mast owls, and of course, barn owls. All right, so, uh, CJ, where'd we leave off in the last book? We left off on page 100, which is almost perfectly halfway through the book. Yeah. And we had just gone to talk to the rogue smith of Silvervale. And we were getting back to the Great Tree. Oh, yeah, because we have to go back to the Great Tree now that we have learned that Ezelrib has enemies in the Northern Kingdoms. Yep. Now that we know there are Northern Kingdoms, because this is all, like, this is all news to the reader. Uh-huh. The Northern Kingdoms are not on the map. This is all news to Soren. They get this whole rundown about this big war that changed the world from 20 years ago. It's very 90s, kid, yeah, is what yeah. I'm saying. Like, Every 90s child grew up in a constant wartime. Mm-hmm. And you always had adults around you talking about the war. And you knew it was a big bad thing, but you didn't know really where any of these places were. You had no concept of Earth as a globe. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it just felt really big and distant. And it does to Soren too. Like, oh, there's his whole other owl kingdom. Yeah. But yeah, now we gotta go back to the tree and face the consequences. Yeah, so we get in trouble going back to the tree. I'm going to attempt my summary once again. Um, so we fly back to the tree with our new information, and we need to talk to um, Octavia, who is Ezelrib's ancient. We do, but we have mate. to get in trouble first, and I oh, don't yeah. want to. I don't want to skip over getting in trouble oh, here. No, 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 because it's actually important in the long run. I was just trying to remember how. Or why we were going back in the first place rather than... Or why the whole well, tree was our next destination again. We're, we're kind of going back because we still don't know where to go next. Um, we don't really have a direction. We've just found out all this information about Ezelrib, and we need to square it away with what we know yeah. about Ezelrib. Because he's supposed to be the good, kindly, you know, grumpy mentor figure, yeah. not a veteran of battle. So. When we get back, I imagine all the, uh, like, rib leaders are waiting for them, like, or, or do they come back to a search party that is looking for them? Uh, they come back to a full parliament waiting oh, for them. I don't think we've talked about the parliament at the Gahul Tree. Well, it's also a monarchy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but it's a parliament of owls, so they have to call it a parliament. Right, 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 right. So, they get back, and they only get caught. Would you say it's somewhere between, like, a city council and a teacher's lounge? Yes. 100% with, um, Boren and the other snowy owl as the principal and vice principal. Uh Uh-huh. Slash king and queen. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Boren and? Baron? It's two B names. Let me go back to the character encyclopedia. Boron and Baron, I was correct. Okay. Uh-huh. So yeah, they're king and queen, but also there is a whole council of all the ribs. Uh-huh. And we only get in trouble because Twilight skipped detention. <laughs> Alright, so there weren't we brought this up last time. I guess there aren't any real rules against leaving the tree unless you have other responsibilities that you're skipping out on, like detention. The the implication as they're in the this parliament is that they weren't supposed to go but all of the teachers know and understand completely why and are like are down for this the sole exception to the chillness of the teachers is Dulap well yeah of course cuz Dulap is you know our 
annoying Gahulology teacher, right? Right. And up till now, she's only been annoying. Uh-huh. You know, she's just, she's the one who teaches the boring class. She's Professor Bins or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now she's gonna go full umbrage. Of course, of course. And Soren is the first one to point out, like, this weird glint in her eye that she's kind of on a power trip. Like, she's just here to punish people to prove that she can punish people. Because she's mad because Twilight skipped detention, right? Yep. Her detention specifically. What did Twilight get detention for? Who knows? It's, I mean, it's Twilight. Take your guess. I know. It's not a surprise. I was just curious if we knew specifically. I don't think so. I think it's just mentioned as they get caught. Twilight goes, oh, rack drops. I forgot I had a flint mop I didn't go to. A flint mop? Yeah, we talked about flint mops. We did not. That was one of my vocab words. We did not say flint it mop last episode. To- it was one of my speed round vocab words. You Bronking did not. Yes, we, we have I talked about I edited this mops. episode. And you tried to gaslight me the exact same time last episode. We have talked about flint mops. We did not talk about flint mops. Go through my journals and find the list where we talked about flint mops. It's not on that list, or if it was, you didn't read it. I will make you listen to that whole last episode. <laughs> well, what do you think a flint mop is? It's detention. Yeah. <laughs> I I was actually saying, hey, that's a good new word. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I called it out. But it wasn't in last episode's I don't think round. it was last episode. I think it was the episode prior. We talked about flip mops, though. We absolutely spronking did not. At the end of book two. Who got a flip mop for what at the end of book two? Um... I I feel like maybe it's just that I've read it so many times, but I feel like we have... You have read these books, and you have all these details that we did not talk about on the episodes, because we're not, you know, trying to go beat by beat, completely down to the page level. But then you seem to think that we did. Oh, here it is. Okay, no, we. you're right. We can't have talked about it before. You're right. Because on page 104, we get our first definition of a flint mop. Okay, thank you. Since there is no real word for punish... Or punishment in the language of the owls of Gahul. Owls are never struck, hit, bitten, locked up, or given less food. They don't even believe in taking away privileges, such as attending parties or festivities or banquets. What they did believe in was the flint mop. Flint stone is the most valuable tool of the, that the owls of Gahul had had. It was flint stones with which they ignited their fires, blah, blah, blah. Flint over the years became a synonym for a thing of great value. To say something was flinty or had flint meant it had real worth. See, this is good world building here. That is good world building. So in order to pay it back, you have to mop it up. You have to mop the flint. Flint mop. Flint, flinty, flint mop feels like three words that you come up with during a game of dialect. Oh, man. Oh, man. We could do such a game of dialect with owls. Except it's already kind of been done, is the thing. I know! Opportunity lost! I still feel like there's a way to make that happen, though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get our first glimpse of Dulap as a as as an owl, as a person, and she's kind of terrible. Okay, uh, actually, I want to jump back for a sec. What, what's a milestone we want to hit with Gahooligans? I just want to set a milestone to shoot for to then do a game of owl dialect. Oh... 500. I was thinking a thousand. You know, oh, you're thinking high. even higher. Because we're at like about 
250 listens right now. Oh, okay. Well, let's do a thousand then. We can do that. We can hit a thousand. All right. Yeah. All right. Saying it here now. When we hit a thousand listens, CJ, myself, and probably a couple other Moonshot hosts will play some owl dialect. Oh my goodness. If you don't know the role playing game dialect, uh, it's good stuff. But that is not in our purview of this podcast. But it will be when we do a bonus episode at a thousand listens. Anyway, alright. So Dulap has is mad because Twilight skipped his flint mop. Um, I think it's important to mention in this parliament, as they're being punished, Boron and Baron are specifically trying to defend the Cha from from Dulap's questions. Like, oh, yeah. it doesn't really matter where the kids have been. We don't really need to know that. And, like, obviously it does matter. If you've ever been an adult in charge of small children, it matters where they've been. It does, yeah. But yeah. the other teachers are actively trying to distract Dulap, which means they know how awful Dulap is. So why do they let Dulap stay? Ding, ding, ding. In her? Dulap? Uh, uh, is her, yes. Yeah. Although I, I, I might be remembering wrong. But I feel like we've had some pronoun changes <laughs> for Dulap. I can't tell. Headcanon, Dulap is a trans woman? I don't know. Uh, or we've just been misremembering. I totally could be misremembering, uh, but this is also a thing that happened in um, Warrior Cats. Yeah. Is characters would just change eye color or just change gender out of nowhere, and it would leave me so confused and I just don't know what's real anymore. Yeah. Probably unintentional queerness happening due to <laughs> uh, slightly sloppy editing. Yep, 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 yep. You know. So, we do our flint mop, we're burying pellets of the tree or whatever, what do we do next? Um, And the whole uh, of Charles is pu- punished for this? Oh yeah, oh yeah, everybody. Because that's what we're calling ourselves, yeah, now, yeah. The band, the Chaw of Chaws, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. And is that just the four of them, or are Eggy and Primrose also punished because they left for the first leg? A little unclear, um, but Eglantine is asleep by the time we get back from this punishment, so I, I assume, you know? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so yeah, so we've, we're down, we're burying pellets as punishment, which is already a thing we have to do in classes, so it's like, oh, you just have to do more. More classes, yeah. Yeah. You put yourself in their claws. Yeah. You are a teenage owl. Yes. You left without permission. Yeah. You get back. You got in trouble for breaking the rules. Uh-huh. What's the next thing you do? Break the rules again. It, of obviously, right? Obviously, you immediately uh-huh. go break the rules again. How are they going to do it? Well, we're going to sneak out of our flint mop duties, and I guess we needed to go like confirm some things with Octavia. Mm-hmm. So, uh. Except Octavia's not talking. Yeah. We already tried that. But maybe you can, like, go rifle through Ezelrib's stuff? Ding, ding, ding! We have a winner! We're gonna go snoop through the teacher zone. Yeah, break into the teacher's lounge. Where we find... <laughs> where we find the most wonderful secret lover. Ezelrib has a perch on his wall. Uh-huh. And everybody goes, Oh, that must be, like... For his exercises or something. And Gilfie hops up on it 
and it falls over. She, she goes, oh, well, obviously that's a terrible perch and uh-huh. not a secret lever on the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're finding all of these books. Sonnets of the Northern Kingdoms by Lies of Keel. Sagas of the Northern Kingdoms, the history of the War of the Ice Claws by Lies of Keel. I bet you one of those books is one of the future books in... Like, when we go back and get some of the prequels, one of those books is just one of the books on Ezra himself. Totally could be. But naturally, of course, this lever, this perch, is a lever. It reveals old, rusty battle claws, and Soren finally puts together how Lies of Keel has a lot of unique letters in it. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> it's almost like if you spell Lies backwards, you get Ezelrib. Um... What would Ezelrib's nobody name be? <laughs> Zexelrib? Zile? Lizex? It, it does have to have an X in it, doesn't it? Like Zez. <laughs> Those are all terrible. Anyway, this is not the last time I'm pretty sure that we will have a character assume a new identity by just flipping their name backwards. Oh no, yeah, no, that's gonna be like a huge plot point later. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember that one fact about that one character. Yep. <laughs> but I don't think that even shows up in these first six books. Oh, no. No, that's like a whole, that's essentially a whole other Owl series before that comes up again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyway, so big reveal. Lies of Keel is Ezelrib. And he is a war vet. <gasps> wow, I never could have guessed from the fact that he had lost a Talon. Uh, well, Soren sure couldn't, um... He couldn't stand the thought of his teacher, his hero, wearing those battle claws. Killing. He himself had killed before. He had helped to kill the bobcat in the Forest of the Beaks, and he had helped kill the top lieutenants of St. Aggie's, Jat and Jut, when those two long-eared cousins had attacked them in the desert of Kunir. But this was somehow different. This was like being... A professional killer. Yes. What had they called those owls he had heard about? Hire claws? They hired out to anyone to fight and kill? That's right, everybody. Lies of Keel, mercenary assassin extraordinaire. Hell yeah. (laughs) And in my head, even as a kid, in my head... Ezelrib just got a lot cooler. Oh, definitely, definitely. Soren's horrified. Uh-huh. But also, like, I bet Twilight thinks that rules. I don't think Twilight is there to actually hear it. I think he hears about it secondhand. It's yeah. just Soren and Gilvy at this point. Because Twilight and Digger have to cover for the for the flint mop. <laughs> well, they're just keeping lookout. Exactly. But the more important end of this is, oh, people change. People change? People change? Hey, you know, at 10, that's a big reveal. Uh-huh. Uh, we still keep oscillating on what Soren's like, effective age is here. Whether he's 10, whether he's 14, whether he's 18, you I, know. I meant more in terms of the reader. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Reading that as 10 years old and going, oh, man. It's, it's, like, it's like sitting down with your grandfather and finding their old war light box, uh-huh. you uh-huh. know? And going, Grandpa, Grandpa, what what are all these medals? What's this folded flag mean? And hearing for the first time that your grandfather was a person with a life and a history. (laughs) 
you were someone before you were like the the gnarled wise teacher. Right, exactly. Okay, so yeah, we've learned that Ezrarib had a life before the Kuhol tree. I, I don't want to admit, I, I feel like we're minimizing this. This is the whole theme of the series as a whole. Yeah, okay. He was a uh, mercenary warrior <laughs> who, like, had poems and songs written about his prowess. But but more than that, he was a warrior who lost his mate, lost a part of his body, uh-huh. realized he never wanted to fight again and went to teach instead. And then was brought back into a war by force. Yeah, yeah. No, he's had some tragedies and he's had, you know, a very exciting life that he does not share. He doesn't talk about his past. Right. And I feel like uh, within the scope of human history, that is very much what 90s kids grew up in. That is the narrative we were told of, you know, the Americas were Americans, Canadians, we were pulled into multiple wars through the 70s, and they were rough and terrible, and we all hated watching them. Rah! But now we have to go fight again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. And this very much feeds into that necessity of battle. We have to fight. Uh-huh. You can't be peaceful. Yeah. Kind of story. When all the figures of respect are are that narrative, mm-hmm. that's what the moral of the book is, whether that's right or not. Yeah, yeah. And I think these books end up making, like, in within their fiction, the fight is very necessary because mm-hmm. of the evils that are out there. Right. Like, we've already talked about that. That was, like, the only moral we were kind of able to extract from the journey. <laughs> right, right. And as a kid, reading that, that's what you apply to your own life. Yeah, and, and we can make whatever arguments we want about that being correct or incorrect or morally right or what. But it was what we were surrounded by. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, definitely gets darker in the context of knowing the actual wars that we were growing up around. As an adult, looking uh-huh. back and actually understanding what those wars mean. Because that's very real for Soren and, and the band, too. Uh-huh. They hear about this war of the Ice Claws. And it is a very abstract idea, both to them and to the reader. We don't know anything about the Northern Kingdoms at this point. Yeah. Lies of Kiel is our only connection to it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's distant, it's abstract, it's unreal. And you only understand what little ad- other adults are willing to tell you about it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I don't think I have anything to add there that you haven't already said. <laughs> it means I did my job well. I just, I want to leave that planted because I feel like that is a big argument of the series as a whole, thematically. Yeah. Not just of this book. This book is just where the kids become kind of adults. Maybe uh-huh. not actually adults, but are thrusted into an adult world and begin to understand what's going on around them. Taking the next step on their coming of age. Yeah, yeah. So we've got this information about Ezreb. We have confirmation about who he used to be. Um, but we still can't find him because we still don't know where he is. But one person does. Sort of. Um, would that be the as- ancient assassin nest maid? No. Sorry, you really focused on her in the last episode, so I should well, assume she was going to come she, back. Well, because she does come back, and we do get this whole history. What we get from her is... 
Ezelrib's story. His story of, actually, we should tell Ezelrib's story. Yes. Because it is an exact foil to Soren. Let's see. I remember any of this. The answer is no, I don't remember any of this. But Ezelrib's story. TLDR. <laughs> the TLDR. Ezelrib was orphaned at a young age. Yeah, kind of. There was a war. There was an <laughs> a long, ongoing war. Uh-huh. But he wasn't orphaned at a young age? He, well, he had a brother. Oh, yes. And he and his brother ended up on opposite sides of the war? He and his brother fought together for the longest time. Uh, until Ezelrib took a mate. Lil. Ezelrib's brother... Also loved Lil. Oh, of course. Lil did not love Ezelrib's brother. And that is where we get one of today's vocab words. Ooh. Turn feather. Yeah, that's a turn cloak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, You're traitor. getting the easy mode of vocab today because a lot of them just make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because he can't have her, Ezelrib's brother becomes a turn feather, mm-hmm. a traitor, and kills Lil. When Lil dies, Ezelrib gets vocab number two, yeep. Which is like kind of losing your mind. Mid-flight, specifically. Oh, yeah, where it's like you kind of like stall out mid-flight. And you just plummet. You Uh just drop. And this is where Ezelrib loses his talon. The talon that is described as so very grotesque throughout all of book two. Mm -hmm. Uh, He plummets, he goes yeep. And an eagle grabs him by the toe to save him before he drops into the ocean. Uh-huh. For some reason, I'm making a connection to um, Achilles getting dipped into water and being angled <laughs> by a single extremity. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that was purposeful. Huh. I really like that. I don't know. It fits in that same realm of, you know, myth and that type of storytelling. Well, especially since, like, okay, Ezelrib gets thematically dipped... Uh-huh. into the river sticks becomes you know immortal or whatever and then immediately chooses i'm sprunk and done uh-huh. this is rack drops i'm out my wife is dead and i'm not going back i'm gonna go join the gloxian brotherhood uh-huh. i'm gonna go hang out in a monastery for the next decade yeah and write stuff mm-hmm. good for him mm-hmm. good for him uh, is his brother still alive at that point? Also a little unclear, and I, I believe that there is some info about the War of the Ice Claws in the prequels. Yeah, we'll probably get there at some so point. So we'll probably get there at some point. Yeah, so I didn't want to dive too far into it and spoil it for myself, because I haven't read all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so this is where we get into the big theme of this book, which mm-hmm. is loss. You know, we started mm-hmm. talking about this last episode with the Scrooms. Um, and then now we have Ezelrib, who's going to become, uh, spoiler alert, a really close mirror to Soren. You don't say. <laughs> but Soren also still has a remaining sibling. Yeah. And Eggie, Eglantine, sweet, sweet Zack Snyder girl. Uh-huh. She knows exactly where to look. She just can't remember. Oh, yeah, because she was... With the you wish, you only wish. She was with the you only wish. Yep. Uh-huh. So we're going to have to do like some owl hypnotism. We're going to get break back out the moon, moon blinker, get her to lead us there. <laughs> by doing like some deep hypnotism, obviously. Kind of? 
we're going to purposefully trigger her mental illness to see if it brings memories back. Cool, cool. And she's completely on board with this, yeah? Yes. All right. That's not as bad then. No, yeah, she's down. So they're all asking her, oh, okay, do you remember, was it a forest? Was it a scrubland? Was it big stone canyons? And Eglantine says, well, it wasn't big stone canyons, but there was stone, but it was cut stone, like smooth and round. Like a quarry of some sort? Like a castle. Oh, oh, nice. Oh, that is cool. I would love to go to a castle taken over by owls. Uh, yeah, except here's the cooler part. It holds bones. Eglantine thought that they were bones of animals. No, it's human bones. It's human bones. It's other bones. And Gilfi specifically has the thought, like, this disturbs Gilfi, mm-hmm. that we are putting owlets in a place where human bones are. Apparently, it, it, oh, I was going to cuss. I can't cuss. Does it have a similar effect to like growing up around flex where it's going to mess with your brain? Yeah. Your owl brain? Human bones make owl brains fuzzy. Uh Uh-huh. And also- Let's just pause on that. Yeah. And examine the evil pure ones. Uh Uh-huh. The Nazis of this book. Uh Uh-huh. Specifically, look for others' ruins to make their headquarters. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you gotta build your evil fortress on top of a pile of bones. That's just, like, rule number one. But human bones specifically, like, symbolically, that means we're the bad guys. Yeah, to some extent. Like, the other way is, like, uh, if we don't take humans as the bad guys they're building on top of them, as like, we can rebuild this better than what they did. But yeah, probably, probably saying, like, yeah, the humans were the baddies back in the day. <laughs> um. Also, I want to say, like, all right, so we've established that owl ghosts exists. Yep. So, stands to reason that human ghosts would also still be around. Maybe that's what makes the owl's brains go mm, so fuzzy around the human could bones. Could be. Could be. I like that. That is a headcanon I would accept. All right, so yeah, so we just need to, um, have we let the parliament know that we're, we intend to do this, or we're, no, we're just sneaking out again. Of course I was going to say, out again. put yourself back in those teenage shoes, you already got in trouble for leaving once, and then you immediately broke the rules to go snoop in a teacher zone. Okay, but what do we use to re-trigger Eglantine's PTSD or repressed memories or whatever? Broken, stained glass window. Oh, but that's what made her feel better. Uh-huh. So is it just like a switch or like I see it and I'm better and I see it and I'm worse and I see well, it and I'm better? Well, so here's, okay, so this, the last thing I wanted to talk about today will be music. And I know we have some music that I know we want to show off today. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But specifically, I want to talk about music as curative. Uh-huh. Because one of the things that snapped Eglantine out of it initially was Madame Planck. Oh. Madame Planck's nightly song and Octavia's harps and and all of that. Uh-huh. One of her, Eglantine's first requests was, Soren, take me to the music. Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about that, too, because music shows up a lot in these books. Uh-huh. Should we finish the plot summary first? Yeah, finish the plot summary, and then we'll get there. Okay. So, we show Eglantine some stained glass. Um, We get some... uh. Very tropey depictions of mental illness, PTSD, repressed yep. memories, yep, yep, you yep, know. Yep. It's like we're watching a police procedural in the 2000s. Yep. 
Exactly. Or today, honestly. And with that, she is able to lead us. If I remember it, it's just kind of like a clearing in the woods is where the final conflict in this book ends up happening. Yep. And in fact, she's able to bring them almost directly to where this castle is. Uh-huh. Where is this castle? Because we did do geography recently. Um, and Gilfie, our wonderful new navigator, she can bring us almost anywhere. Um, we figure out that, oh, of course, Metalbeak was one of the pure ones holding Eglantine in a castle. Which, um, the first time Soren heard that was from his ghost parents, right? Right. Right. So we were just, we're putting the clues together from the uh-huh. first half. All those things that an adult reading these books figures out immediately. Yep, yep. <laughs> Here it is. This is the part I wanted to read. They called themselves the Pure Ones, and at first they seemed kind. They wanted to teach us to worship Titos because they said we were the purest of the pure of all the owls, and that was why we spoke the praising songs. But it wasn't at all the way Mum and Dad used to read to us, Soren. No, not at all. I mean, you remember how Mum would try and hum a little tune and almost sing? We could not do that. They wanted nothing to do with music. They thought music was like poison. Um, just for the record, do you remember what barn owls sounded like? Awful. <laughs> so no wonder they couldn't hum a little tune. <laughs> but a direct contrast to Kahul, right? Yeah. Where we have this almost like borderline useless owl, Madame Plonk. Uh-huh. What's Madame Plonk's job at the Guardian Tree? What does she do? She's the cor- the the harp director and also leads songs. So, like, yeah, she's the choir director. She is the party bard. Yeah, yeah. I argue. <laughs> I would say that she might be more like like the church organist. Fair. I would argue, with my proof being Twilight, mm-hmm. Eglantine's mental illness curative, whatever, Octavia, the ex-soldier turned harpist, and Madame Planck, the party bard. Uh-huh. I would argue that in the world of Gahul, yeah, every party needs a bard for buffing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true to some extent that music is, like, a really helpful way to find spiritual and mental peace. Like, I know that Absolutely. music therapy is, like, a thing that works for people. And part of the argument within this world is that in order to be noble, because that's a word they throw around a lot, um, in order to be civilized owls in this ruined, you know, actually within the ruins of the others, yeah, you need music. That's uh-huh. part of what being alive means. Uh-huh. It's what keeps your spirit whole. In this very hard, harsh, terrible world. Which is kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah, I can buy into that. Anyway, yeah, they use all that and they run off to the woods. Uh-huh. And in the woods, I think we find Ezelrib kind of half, like, he's kind of gone yeep again. Sort of, yes. Actually, we get a really amazing chapter from Ezelrib's point of view. But before we can actually find him, we have to deal with Flex. Oh, when do we run into Flex? We run into Flex in the Devil's Triangle. Now, this implies the existence of an owl devil. Well, yes, of course. There's <laughs> got, if we have Hagsmeyer, someone's got to be in charge of Hagsmeyer. <sighs> but, um, yes, so Eglantine remembers while she's at this castle that there were three bags of Flex. Oh, yeah. 
which disrupt owl navigation. Yep, and kind and the of pure ones have kind of set up this triangle to disrupt anyone trying to fly in. Yep, specifically the uh, legendary lies of Keel. Uh huh. Wow, imagine being such a renowned warrior that like this entire like hundred plus army of like extreme owl supremacist cultists are afraid of just one guy. Well, <laughs> not even that. They're willing to throw away their entire white supremacy ideology in order to have the knowledge of one owl who who does not fit their ideology. Uh-huh. Ezelrib's a whiskered screech. Yeah. He don't belong in Taito. Uh-huh. That ain't his classification. But the fascists are always willing to make exceptions when it's useful for them. So yeah, so this immediately is going to throw off the whole band. Is it just the band that's gone out, or do they have backup? As far as we know, it's just the band. Okay, so we have this Devil's Triangle. We've got three big bags of flex that are just completely throwing us off. I I wonder how the Pure Ones are navigating this, or have they just set this up as a trap? Oh, they're not. Yeah, they just set this up specifically for Ezelrib. They... Uh, you remember at the end of the last book, they had that great downing, which is where we found Eglantine. Uh-huh. Uh, they did that on purpose to try and lure Ezelrib out of the tree. And it worked. Wow. Yeah, we do actually have kind of a, not a chapter, but like some time in their perspective. Uh-huh. Um, where they're starting to get ruined and getting frustrated and whatever. It's bleh. But this presents an obvious problem. The Chaw can't fly aimlessly, because if they get caught in this devil's triangle, they're not getting out. Yeah, yeah. How do they learn that this even exists? We bring an extra member along this time. You you just said it was only the four. I forgot, and you know what? I'm allowed because I forget about her all the time, and I would like to forget about her more. Odalissa? Odalissa. <laughs> all right, what does Odalissa figure out? Odalissa just knows. Just knows? Odalissa just knows everything. She knows about flex? She knows about flex. She knows about higher magnetism. She knows the Devil's Triangle by name. She just knows. Does Trickstruma teach her all this? Oh, she read about it somewhere. I'm not being fair, and I know it. She gave her big, oh my gosh, I just hate racism so much, speech with Uh literal tears in her eyes. Um, And it did end up being useful bringing her along, because yeah, she is probably the best red owl of their age. Yeah, yeah. I still hate her. Yuffie will catch up in a year. Yuffie will catch up in a year, exactly. And then, yeah. Uh, but Odalissa also knows the weakness of the Devil's Triangle. Fire. Why would fire disrupt magnetism? I don't know. <laughs> like setting the bags on fire or just like walking around with fire or what? If Apparently, if they set the bags on fire, it will disrupt the Devil's Triangle and the magnetism will dissipate. At least the kind of magnetism that disrupts owl navigation. Uh-huh. They can also use, and this is where Metalbeak's mask comes in, they can also use moo metal. I have no idea if that is a real metal or not. It's probably like asteroid metal. 
may, uh, may, uh, like it's supposed metal? to be very soft is how they describe it. Like owl ta- uh-huh. talons can just tear through this metal, but so maybe, magnetically it's maybe, a dampener. Huh. I don't know enough bi- materials, physics or chemistry or whatever to know if that's a legitimate thing. But my first guess would be like maybe something like aluminum or lead. Lead. lead might make sense, but lead isn't very soft, is it? Lead's very soft. Lead's very soft? It's just also very heavy. Well, that might be it then. Uh, they So they make a impromptu bucket out of moo metal. Fill it up with coals. Fill it up with coals. And that's where we get our last vocab for the day. A glowworm. Um, so that's something that we would... That's like uh, just barely glowing coal that we can use to like spark other coals, yeah? Unclear. Trick question. They don't actually know what a glowworm means. They just know that it's a special kind of coal that Boobo wants all the time, and they get extra points if they get glowworms. It's probably ones that like burn for a long time and you can use to spread other Yeah, coals. it's probably just better coals. Alright, so we got a bucket full of coals and glowworms. We just have to go and find these bags, which we can probably find by getting more and more disoriented as we get close to them. We specifically put Otalissa in charge of that because she's, like, super atmospherically sensitive or whatever. She's just a highly sensitive owl. Well, you can't say that because my family used to say that about me and then I have to be Otalissa and I don't want to. Soren's a highly sensitive owl, too. He's got gizuition. Uh-huh. And Digger's a highly sensitive owl. Because he has big feelings. That's true. That's true. I'll be Digger. Digger's acceptable. There is a part of the chapter I want to talk about, and that's Ezelrib's part. Yeah? Uh, we get we get a short section from his point of view. And it's as the band is destroying fleck bags and breaking uh-huh. up the Devil's Triangle, and we start to see, like, oh yeah, his... Head has been buzzing, literally mm-hmm. buzzing this whole time. He's not even able to take off or fly anymore. He's pretty sure he's going to starve to death this winter and is reflecting on his own death. Yeah. Which really fits thematically with what, you know, with the scrooms and all the things that we've been doing with loss the whole book round. We are almost at the end of the book. All we have to talk about is the big reveal. Yeah, where we finally meet Metal Beak. Metal Beak attacks! Is it just Metal Beak, or does he have backup? He has backup. He It's unclear just how many owls, but there are several. They seem to have been unaware that fire could do anything against their flex. Um, and as soon, as soon as we find Ezelrib, that's when the attack hits. There, oh, Soren tells us there were ten owls! All with battle claws. Ooh, five versus ten. And did any of them bring up battle claws? Like, did nope. Twilight? Not even Twilight. But that's okay, because... We got fire. We have fire, and everybody else comes in to help. We have our first big battle. We have a whole chapter of just battle. We're going into a big battle, huh? Well, okay, so the best part, we were talking about music earlier. Yeah. You already said, we're vastly outnumbered, we don't have battle claws. Uh-huh. So we're basically un-owl-armed. Unwinged? Untaloned? We're untaloned. We're untaloned. But we have Twilight's battle hymn, so we're fine. Exactly! <laughs> That's exactly what happens, though. Uh, then, amazingly, 
Ducking and dodging every parry from the oncoming metal beak, Twilight began one of his battle taunts. Sing, 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 sing. The attacking owl almost stopped mid-flight. He was completely startled by this strange chant. At one point, Twilight makes another owl go yeep by singing at them. While fighting, a bard is necessary to your owl party. Uh Uh-huh. And this is beautiful. But eventually the rest of the chaw, the rest of the coiling chaw specifically, does show up because they were coming in for a fire that was nearby. Uh Uh-huh. The fire that we went and got coals from. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's Metalbeak and a bunch of other pure ones with him. Yep. Yeah. Who kind of get their... Their butts kicked. That that's the thing that Twilight oh, says. Yes. Yeah. 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 Knocked tail over toes. I don't know. <laughs> tail over talon. Tail over talon. There it is. Um. How is the writing of the battle scene? Because it's been a while since I have read these. I remember enjoying the battles as a kid, but I'm curious how they hold up as an adult. You know, they're pretty solid. Honestly, um. They are a little hard to parse Mm -hmm. because human brains are trying to, you know, come to terms with the idea of twisting in midair and flying with things in your talons. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, the physics don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, we'll get a better feel for it when we play the video game. Oh, no. So, even though we are unarmed, we're going after the pure ones with branches of fire. That... Absolutely rules. Uh, it's super symbolic, right? Yeah. Purifying uh-huh. flames? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fire versus metal, you know? And but, then, of course, metal loses. Uh-huh. Because he ends up in a one-on-one duel with Soren, yeah? Oh, wait, sorry. Before we get there, before we get to the big reveal... Yeah. Uh, Utlissa flirts mid-battle. Uh-huh, with Soren. Together we might make a pair and do some damage. It's it's just it's just bad. It's uh-huh. it feels out of place. Like dialogue in combat is already a difficult thing uh-huh. for me that I'm not really here for. Let's see, uh, also, what's Gilfie doing in this fight, and what is Digger doing in this fight? Like, I know that Twilight is singing and belting out songs, and you know, and also fighting all yeah. at once. Yeah, um, Gilfie is also like. Dropping coals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doing her best. Um, Otalissa and Soren are holding flaming branches and, like, slashing them like fiery swords. That's the word-for-word description. Slashing them like fiery swords. Wait, pause. These owls know about swords? These owls know about swords. But they don't use swords. I guess why would you use swords when your talents are already perfectly good? It does definitely imply some more knowledge of the others. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, like, we must have killed ourselves in this history. Us humans. Uh-huh. Right now, it kind of sounds like humans died out in, like, some sort of medieval era, if it's, like, off castles and stuff. Yeah! Right? Like, I would always taken it as, like, oh, yes, this is, you know, thousands of years after humans, modern human civilization died out. But it kind of sounds like... Anyway, sorry, I'm off topic. <laughs> uh, yeah, even Eglantine 
is like ducking and dodging and spiraling out of the way. Uh-huh. So Eglantine is also here for this reveal. Yeah. I feel like that should be more important than it is in the book because... I mean, that's Eglantine's whole deal. I mean, yeah, Zack Snyder's best female character. Biggest these, claim to fame. Through the first couple books that she's been in them. Yeah. Because, um, so it is Soren versus... Uh, Metalbeak. Metal yeah. Bum, bum, bum! And Soren manages to, like, melt some of the mask. Yep. And some of it melts off, and he sees his brother's face underneath it. Oh, it's even worse oh, than that. Yes, and then and the mask melts onto the his face. The mask melts onto his face! Yeah, so he just goes full Darth Vader, where he just becomes part, part artificial. So... And what is super important about this fight scene in particular is that this is where we get the Ezelrib mirror. Yeah, Soren yeah. starts to go yeep. Mm-hmm. He sees his brother. He sees he's fighting his How brother. How does he realize he's it's his brother? Like, what is the specific thing that does that? Uh, well, here it is. Metalbeak staggered mid-flight. He hadn't seen it coming, and now Soren flew up in a flanking maneuver and shoved the slender, burning, stripling branch under the mask. He shoved harder, and a great piece of the mask lifted and fell to the ground. Soren blinked. He felt his heart stop. His gizzard turned to stone. Clud? The name boiled up from Soren's throat. His own brother now flew at him. His claws raised, ready to rake out Soren's eyes. Surprise, little brother. And then Soren just about goes yeep, but the power of friendship stops it. Yeah. Gilfie says, hey, your brother's gonna kill you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and for some reason that stops the thought of, oh, rack drops, my brother's gonna kill me. Having somebody else say it makes the difference. It makes it more real, I guess. Yeah, you can't go out and be a lone wolf like Lies of Keel. You have to go in with friends. Yeah. I mean, we, we see how it goes if you go in like Lies of Keel. Mm-hmm. So Soren pulls off one last difficult maneuver, um, ends up above Clud just with this steep banking turn, and drops the burning branch straight onto this last bit of metal mask still on Clud's face. And it just completely melts over his face from right. It melts over one of his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it's nasty, and somehow Clud survives that. And Clud goes yeet. Uh-huh. Clud falls out of the sky, like, actually, um, until, like, the very last second, picks himself off the right before he hits the ground. Yeah. And flies it, off, saying know. death to Soren. Uh-huh. Yeah, the classic villain. I've been defeated, but it's too soon to actually kill me off, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How he lives with metal on his face forever, we will never know. Pure hatred. I mean, that's the whole point of Clud, is he's just a character powered by hatred. Yeah, I mean, with a name like Clud, how could you not be? Uh-huh. Uh, but then Sor- uh, Soren is comforted by his friends, Gilfie coming up and saying, It's alright, you're gonna be alright, even though your brother's metal beacon wants to kill you. Eglantine's over in one corner, just standing completely traumatized. No one notices because they're all around the best boy. Yeah, we don't even go check in with Eglantine. She's here to watch one brother try and kill other uh-huh. brother and then melt the oldest brother's face. She watches all of this. Primrose just kind of saddles over in the background, just like, hey. hey how you doing? You good? <laughs> Where's okay, my we'll, fan fiction on that? We'll deal with that next book. 
or the book after that. We'll, we'll deal with that in one of those books. Where is my fan fiction that is all of this nonsense from Eglantine's point of view? I believe we get to Eggie's POV. Uh, occasionally, like we have books. a chapter or two now and again. I feel like that's maybe book five, I want to say. I, I could be wrong. I don't know if I ever made it that far. Anyway, I think this series will not go back to these scenes and give you Eglantine's perspective. You know, it won't do the Stephanie Meyer, I want to go back and rewrite this book from the other character's perspective. <laughs> but I do want to, like, thematic tie-in for these last five pages. Two things happen. This is what made me initially start to think about both music and, uh, like, continuing on after grief. Yeah. Gilfie's comfort to Soren after all this is your parents must be a little bit closer to Gl Glaumora now. This is their unfinished business on Earth. Uh -huh. They must be getting closer. Yeah, like, you almost killed your brother, so, like, you almost freed them from purgatory on Earth to go Brutal, to Owl Heaven. Right? You, you're pretty close, bud. <laughs> if you just kill your brother, then yeah. your dead family will be able to rest. Yeah, not bad for a first try. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll get to try again many more times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sad. And then, of course, we end on... One last song. Of course. This one, actually almost metered, and noticeably better than all the rest of them because Ezelrib wrote it. Yeah, yeah. And Ezelrib's a good writer. He's definitely better than Twilight. Ezelrib goes back and edits. Twilight, he just sings what he feels in the moment, you know? All right. And that's how the book ends, yeah. We finished a rescue in the rescue. All in all, accurate title. Much better plotting. We had a little mystery. We solved the mystery. We had some battle scenes. Yeah. Vast improvement. Yeah, this is definitely the strongest book so far in the series. Like, the first book is a great setting establisher, but this yeah. is like, all right, we actually have owl kingdoms and owl lore. This is where the plot begins. The first book is all prequel and made from the understanding of immature owls. Mm -hmm. This is where the plot starts. Yeah, the first book very much felt like, all right, I'm writing this first book. All right, this is cute. Um, Hey, I want to keep writing in this world. All right, let's actually figure this yeah. out. Yeah. What am I actually trying to say with the rest of the series? Uh -huh. This is where it starts to take. So even though this is where I stopped reading as a kid, I have high hopes. All right. What is the next book? Is it The Siege? It is The Siege. It is The Siege. All right. That bodes very well for all of our good friends of the Great Bahool Tree. All right. Before we wrap tonight, we actually have two segments. First, CJ, would you like to come back to my Owl Fact Corner? Do I have a choice? I mean, yeah. No, I don't. Give me those Owl Facts. There's no choice here. Okay, yeah. All right. Today, I'm actually correct about the owl species this time. It's Burrowing Owl Day. Digger! Time. Yep. It's time for Digger's family to learn about those owls that got cannibalized. <laughs> All right. Owl fact number one. As a reminder, one of these three is false. It's your job to pick out which one. Fact number one. Burrowing owls will store extra food in their burrows, building up large larders to eat while sitting on eggs and raising young. 
These larders can hold up to hundreds of rodents at any time. Interesting. That's a very hobbit lifestyle, and I love the idea of just a bunch of little hobbit owls. Second, prior to laying eggs, burrowing owls will coat the entrances to their burrows with feces to attract insects for their owlets to snack on. That just makes good sense. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know where they would get the feces, since they don't really produce it themselves. They would have to go find feces? I think that is the implication, yeah. Interesting. And fact number three, burrowing owls often make their homes in prairie dog villages and snake holes. And at times they've been known to have a commensalistic, bringing back a vocab word we learned in the first couple episodes, Mm -hmm. relationship with the prairie dogs and snakes who live there. You know, sharing food, sharing space. These relationships rarely last, though, because owls do get hungry. (laughs) Hmm. I guess my thought there is just how big is a burrowing owl? Can it fit in a snake hole? It could probably fit in a prairie dog hole because it hunts those anyway. I would think. I feel like two is the most outlandish. Uh Just the thought of like... Like a dung beetle, an owl going to go find and pick up and fly with feces to bring back to its own home for the sake of ins- Like, it seems a little complicated. Not that there aren't definitely that complicated of things in nature. Just seems like a lot, you know? Alright, you're going with pact number two? I'm gonna go with two. Alright, CJ, you are... Incorrect. Gross. The third that means fa- they do it. Nasty. The third fact is incorrect. Um, it's simply a pop, like, yes, they will sometimes take over, like, abandoned prairie dog villages and stuff. They'll sometimes take those over, but they will not live peacefully with the animals that, that are there. That also makes, makes sense, yeah. <laughs> but it is a popular myth in the southwest U.S. <laughs> that those owls and those prairie dogs live together. You know, it's a nice thought. You don't live with your dinner. No. That's not true. People live with chickens all the time. Yeah, except when your dinner is the bugs that are attracted by the feces you've left at your doorstep. That's so gross. I can't believe they do that. It it goes against all animal knowledge of don't yarp where you sleep. Yeah, yeah. But it's not their own yarpings, you know? It's other animals. That's worse. But it attracts insects. Look. That's why you don't want it in your house. It's not that gross. It's, It's pretty gross. All right, we can agree to disagree. I don't want to be Digger anymore. No? No. Oh, you always wanted to be Gilfie. Yeah. Gilfie's where my heart's at anyway. All right, that brings us to our brand new segment. Woohoo! Last episode, uh, we asked you all to uh, send in performances of the songs and poems found within the Gahul series. And we got multiple responses. CJ and I have each committed to doing our own as well, though we don't have either of those ready. I figure we'll just run one per episode for now. So if you don't hear yours right now, it will be on a future episode. Just so, you know, we space them out. You know, I want to be realistic (laughs) about how many submissions we get. So this might not end up being an every episode thing, but as long as we have them, we will play them. I mean, we have two submissions already, right? Yeah. And then one from you, one from me at least. Uh So... Gotta work up that ukulele cord. But yeah, if you want to send your own, you can email us at gohooliganspod, 
or you can uh, tweet us on Twitter at Pod or tumble us on Tumblr. At also Lis- at Gahooliganspod. All right. So, I have not listened to this before. This is a submission from Ashley. And she has a performance of The Song of the Colliers from the end of book two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we're sing- we're uh, singing as we go through a horrible weather pattern. Yeah, definitely. Do it. Super excited. Give me a hot coal burning bright red. Give me an ember sizzling with heat. These are the jewels made for my beak. We fly between flames and never get singed. We plunge through the smoke and never cringe. The secrets of fire, its strange winds, its rages. We know it all as it rampages through forests, through canyons, up hillsides and down. We'll track it, we'll find it. Take coals by the pound. We'll yarp in the heart of the hottest flame and bring back its coals and make them tame. For we are the colliers brave beyond all. We are the Owls of the coloring jaw. Props. It's really hard to make that flow because yeah. it doesn't always have like a stable you, syllabic pattern, so it's tough to get those out. Yeah, you navigated that meter quite well. Props to Awful World Kid. Um, yeah, that's a more rousing performance than I could do. I mean, ditto. I'm relying on a ukulele to carry it for me. Yeah, I'm gonna have to figure out what I what I'm doing for mine because <laughs> the the bar has just been set. The bar has been set. All right, that was our fan work feature. Unless you have a better name for that segment. No, fan work feature's great. Yeah, it's not specifically owl themed, and that's not um, <laughs> it's good enough. Oh, oh, what if it's um. Madame Plonk's something? Hmm. So, I think that's everything we got for you today. That's it? Maybe we'll even clock in under an hour this time. Maybe. Probably not. Almost certainly not. (laughs) Uh, This was a little bit of a weird recording. We had a couple breaks in there. The dog was not on the side of- Our producer was not producing today. That was a bad episode. (laughs) Just too bad because I was excited for the back half of this book. And I'm excited for the siege. But I still think we managed to keep the energy up. We had a good time. And most importantly, you know what we did? We listened to our gizzards. Exactly. Oh, goodness. Wasn't that a blast? I sure do love listening to all my great friends on the Moonshot Network, making jokes and having fun and doing all kinds of things with each other. You know, I kind of wish I could listen to more of the Moonshot hosts that I love. And you know what else I wish? I wish I could watch them playing video games and doing all kinds of other goofy, fun things that are really cool. And you know what else I wish? I wish I could listen to them all day for three days in a row while donating to a good cause. Well, the good news is, you and I can do that. And we're going to be able to do it at the end of this month. That's right. Starting Friday, May 26th, it's the Moon Carnival. 
your favorite Moonshot hosts, and friends playing games, having fun, and raising money for Trans Lifeline. It's all happening on the Moon Carnival at twitch.tv slash moonshotnetwork this Memorial Day weekend, Friday, May 26th through Sunday, May 28th. Okay, hello, <laughs> this is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier, delivering mail in space, one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummox. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummox on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations and sometimes even see things tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. It's yanked me into some real situations. A haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, Please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box. 